Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Matt, and I'm a pastor here at Friendship Church, and I'm so glad you're with us today, and I'm glad to be here as well as we continue our study in Elijah. Now, all of you got an extra hour of sleep last night, right? So I have planned the most boring, driest message that I've ever put together for you today, and you can take it, right? Absolutely. I got an amen back there. I love it. Thank you. Who are we studying right now? Right, We've been looking at Elijah, a prophet that lived over about 900 years before Jesus. And what did we see last week in our study of Elijah? We saw this astounding fire-starting contest that took place on the top of Mount Carmel, where 450 prophets of Baal cut up an offering and placed it upon the altar, and then they called upon Baal to send down fire and light that offering on fire. And did anything happen? No, absolutely not. And so Elijah began to mock the prophets of Baal. And what did he say? Hey, you guys, yell louder because certainly Baal is a god. Maybe he's meditating, Elijah said. Maybe he's thinking about the theory of sending fire. Or maybe he's on vacation. I mean, we're on the Mediterranean. It's beautiful out here. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Elijah's got all kinds of possibilities for them. And so they get worked up even further and they start dancing around and they're cutting themselves and they are yelling at the top of their lungs to Baal. And does Baal ever send fire? No, absolutely not. So then the time comes and Elijah steps forward. The offering that Elijah places on the altar is there and he doesn't yell, he doesn't cut, he doesn't dance around. He simply prays to the Lord, show yourself to be the God I know you to be and that everything I have said about you is true. And does God send the fire? Yeah, God sends the fire and it burns up the offering and the wood And the entire altar, so that all is left is this burned crater in the ground. Now, do you guys have a top 10 list of things in the Bible you wish you were there for? Does this not go in the top 10 in terms of the things you wish you were present for? All of Israel is up there on the mountain. And they feel the heat of that intense fire come down from heaven. They feel it. And they all fall on their faces. And what do they cry out? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, as the prophet of Israel, what has Elijah wanted for the last three and a half years? For Israel to say exactly that. For them to leave behind this worship of false gods and to cry out in one voice, no, no, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And now it has happened. And in the aftermath of all of that, Elijah is going to pray again. He's going to pray again. Last week, we saw him pray that God would open up the heavens and send fire. Today, we're going to see Elijah pray that God would open up the heavens and send rain. And we're going to look at this because Elijah is a model of what powerful prayer looks like. When Elijah prays, God answers with power. And the New Testament teaches us that that is possible in our lives. So look at this account with me. We're going to look at 1 Kings 18, verse 41 and following. And our account begins in verse 41 when Elijah tells King Ahab, hey, you better go eat and drink because there's rain coming. 
And so King Ahab goes with his party and they go and they eat and they drink. But Elijah goes instead up onto the mountain in order to pray that it would rain. How long has it been since it rained? Right? Three and a half years that it's been since it has rained. And he goes up onto the mountain. And Elijah must have been more flexible than I am because we're told that Elijah got down on the ground and he put his head between his knees. Right? Read that. He put his head between... No, that's not happening for me. There's maybe some young people out there for, who can pull that off, but I know I can't pull that off. That Elijah gets down on the ground. He prostrates himself in all humility before God. And he prays for rain and he sends his servant to go and look out to the west over the Mediterranean to see if there are any rain clouds coming. And what does the servant see? Nothing. And so he comes back and he tells Elijah, no clouds. And so what does Elijah do? Elijah says, clearly it's not the will of God. I'm moving on. No, Elijah gets down on his knees, prostrates himself again before God, and he prays for rain, and he sends his servant out to look again. And his servant looks out over the Mediterranean, and what does he see? Nothing. And so he comes back, and what does Elijah do? Yeah, okay, I'm not going to do this, but how many times does this happen? Seven times this happens. That Elijah continues to pray and continues to pray that it would rain. Until finally the servant goes and looks out over the Mediterranean and says there is a cloud out there the size of a hand. I don't know what that phrase means. Like the size of a hand if it were disembodied and floating over the Mediterranean or the size of my hand when I hold it out or the size of my hand when I hold it out. I don't don't know what that means. But I think it means the cloud wasn't that big. And so Elijah tells his servant, hey, you need to go and tell King Ahab. He's got to get back to the capital city because the rains are coming. He's got chariots. They don't do well in the mud. He's got to get going because the rains are coming. And so the king takes off. And we're told that the Spirit of God filled Elijah. And what happened? Elijah outran the king's chariots, the 17 miles, back to the capital city of Israel. What? Think about the day that Elijah has had. As he stands in the capital city, thunder and lightning all around him, rain falling upon the land for the first time in three and a half years, this has all been a single day. From the fire-starting contest on, on Mount Carmel, all the way through to the killing of the prophets of Baal, and then on to this prayer over and over again for rain and outrunning the king's chariots. Kind of a busy day, right? But as the prophet of God, a pretty good day. A pretty good day as the people declare, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And the New Testament uses this situation and Elijah as an example of what powerful prayer looks like. In a verse that we've looked at before in James chapter 5, We read, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Was he a superman? Was he an angel? No, what? He was was a dude like us. Uh, Well, you guys. Anyway, a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. When God wants to find an example out of the Old Testament of powerful prayer, it is Elijah and this particular instance that he calls attention to. 
And if we have any interest in having powerful prayer lives, it would be worth us understanding what is it that made Elijah's life so powerful in prayer? What is it in Elijah that God responded to and sent his power so often and with such depth? And how can I practice that kind of prayer in my own life? Well, let's look at a couple of things we see in Elijah that are keys to a powerful prayer life. The first is this. Pray in righteousness. Right? We want a powerful prayer life? We need to live a righteous life filled with single-minded devotion for God. This is a repeat of what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. But it's so very important because nothing hinders the power of our prayer like unconfessed and unrepentant sin in our life. When we are living a double-minded life rather than single-minded in devotion to God... God chooses not to answer our prayers in those situations. Psalm 66, 18 and 19. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Here in the Old Testament is an expression that means to do what the people are asking in prayer. And what we see here is God does not answer people's prayer when they are walking in sin, when they are living a double-minded life. There's no greater barrier to our prayer life than living in unconfessed and unrepentant sin. Uh, We talked about this being simply good parenting by God, right? A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that when my kids were young, if we were driving by a Dairy Queen and they were fighting and yelling at each other and yelling at their dad and being terribly disobedient and then suddenly stopped and asked, hey, can we get a blizzard? That the answer each and every time was, no, I'm not about to reward you in the midst of the worst of your behavior. The answer is going to be no each and every time to that. I may even stop and get a blizzard for myself to eat in front of them. Just sit and eat it. Oh, you guys, this is so good. Oh, the Heath Bar, delicious. And in the same sense, God isn't going to reward us with answered prayer when we have left the path that he has designed for us to walk. On the opposite side of that, when we are living in righteousness, when we're living in single-minded devotion to God, he loves to answer our prayers. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. God loves to hear and answer the prayers of those who are single-minded in their devotion towards him, of those who are righteous. He loves to hear and answer their prayers. Again, there's something parental about this. I love to do the things my kids ask me to do when they're asking me to do things that are headed in the right direction. A few years ago, when they were much younger, they came to me and they had this elaborate idea that they wanted to pull off for my wife for Mother's Day to show how much they loved her. Dad, will you help us? It was elaborate. There was a lot that needed to get done. 
But as I looked at it, I said, of course I'll help you guys, right? What a great plan they'd come up with in order to express love to their mom. And so I did everything that was required in order to help them pull this off, everything they asked me to do. Not only that, I was so excited about their heart and mind that wanted to show love for their mom. I took them out for treats just to say, I'm so proud of you guys for thinking of this and going in this direction. Because as a parent, I I love to do what my kids ask me to do when they're headed in the right direction. And God is the same. When people are living in righteousness, when they're living in single-minded devotion to him, God loves to answer their prayers in those situations. And so what is the first key to being a people who have powerful prayer life? It's living in righteousness, living in single-minded devotion to God. The second key that we see in Elijah is this, to pray for what brings people to God. We want to have lives, uh, powerful prayer lives. We need to be a people whose prayers are focused on what brings people to God and brings them closer into relationship with him. So often in our lives, we are tempted to pray for things that will simply make life more comfortable and more blessed. Right? Lord, please help this person feel better, and Lord, please help that person do better in school, and Lord, please help my job to go better. We just tend to pray for things that make life more comfortable and more blessed. But those who have powerful prayer lives are those who pray for kingdom-oriented priorities. They pray for God's kingdom to come into people's lives. This is how Jesus taught us to pray, right? When he said, when you pray, pray like this. What is the first half of that prayer all about? God, we want your name to be lifted up. God, we want your kingdom to come into people's lives. God, we want your will to be more and more done in our life and the lives of those around us. Everything is about the kingdom and the advancement of God's name, his will, everything about him. And those with powerful prayer lives are praying that people would know God and would know him more. They're not simply praying for, Lord, make this more comfortable, make this easier as I go along. But God, do whatever will draw people into relationship with you. Elijah prayed, according to James chapter 5, that it would not rain for three and a half years. What was the impact of that? Everyone got poorer, right? Elijah prayed that hardship would come upon people and that they would grow poorer for three and a half years that their crops would wither, that their animals would grow thin and die, that every person would have less at the end of those three and a half years. Why would he do that? Why would God want that? Because ultimately what God wanted was for people to understand that Baal, the supposed God of rain, was not the one who was in control here, that he was the one who was in control. And anything was worth them learning this lesson and reaching a place where they would bow down before God and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And the same is true in our prayer life. That we are to pray for whatever it is that will help people know God and know him all the better. If you were friends with the Old Testament prophet Jonah, right? You remember the Old Testament prophet Jonah? And he was standing on the dock at Joppa. And he was about to get on a ship headed to Tarshish. What do you suppose he would have asked you to pray for? He probably would have said, my friend, would you pray for smooth sailing? 
Would you pray that we wouldn't encounter any problems as we make this lengthy journey? But what would Jonah actually need you to pray for in that situation? That God would bring the storms. Right? That God would bring the storms into his life that would get him thrown off of a boat so that he would enter into repentance and come back to God. Because what God what God calls us to be in prayer for is what draws people to him and into deeper relationship with him. Not just things that make life easier or more comfortable along the way. And those with powerful prayer lives are focused on the kingdom when they're praying. They're focused on the kingdom when they're praying. When I was in college, I had a roommate who went through some very difficult times. He was my roommate for four years, the best man in my wedding. And while we were in college, his dad got put back in jail again for drug charges. His mom, who was raising he and his two siblings as a single mom, was going through some significant financial challenges as he was trying to go through college. One of his younger siblings started to take a path that did not lead to good places. There were all kinds of challenges in his life. And what my roommate needed me to pray more than anything, was that in the midst of those challenges and those hardships, he would come into relationship with Jesus Christ and trust in him. More than praying that God would smooth all of those challenges out or make them easier for him to handle, what he needed more than anything was for me to be praying that God would use those challenges in order to bring him into relationship with him, which he did. And here we are years and years later, and he is living for the Lord in Atlanta, Georgia, loving Jesus and his wife and his kids. Because what he needed more than anything wasn't smoother sailing. He needed those storms and to respond to those storms in repentance in order to come back to Jesus. I'd invite you to think about that, about how you've been praying as it relates to 2020. Right? What have you been praying for this year? God, please make this end so that we can get back to normal and have comfort again. Or, God, would you please work in these circumstances in order to draw people to yourself? Would you use this unique and challenging time in order to advance your kingdom? What does that look like in our prayer life? Those who have powerful prayer lives, they pray in righteousness. They pray for what brings people to God. They're kingdom-oriented in their prayer. And finally, they pray with tenacity. Elijah prays that it would rain, and does it rain the first time? No. And so what does he do? He prays again. Does it rain? No. So what does he do? Does he pray? You get the idea, right? Seven times he bows down before the Lord in all humility and pleads that God would bring the rain. Lord, Please, you have said you want to do this. I am here pleading with you that you would bring the rain before finally there is a small cloud off in the distance. He prayed with tenacity. And God calls us to pray in that same way. Jesus tells a parable about a widow in Luke chapter 18. And he says, the whole purpose of me telling this parable to you is that you will pray with tenacity. As a matter of fact, the first verse says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. What were they supposed to do? Always pray and not lose heart. As a matter of fact, a little later on in that chapter, it says that the faithful cry out to him, God, day and night. How often do we cry out to him? Day and night we cry out to him. 
We are to be a people of tenacious, tenacious and persistent prayer. And those who have powerful prayer lives live that out. We keep praying. We keep praying over and over again. That was Elijah and that is to be us. When my kids again were younger, we had a dog named Lacey. She was a boxer and boxers are pretty strong dogs. And we went away one evening and we decided to try and confine Lacey to the basement. So we put her in the basement and we shut the door. And we went away for three or four hours. And when we came home, Lacey greeted us at the front door. And we went, what? Right? How did that happen? And so I went and I looked at the door. And there were claw marks deep into the door where she had clawed away at that door over and over again, scratching up the entire interior of the door. But that's not how she got out. She had started to bite the door handle with that powerful jaw over and over again. There were chew marks all around the door handle, and she had managed to flatten out a couple of the sides of the door handle so that she could turn it and had gotten out. I don't know how long Lacey worked at that. All of the clawing of the door and the chewing of the door handle before she got out. But in my mind, that is a tremendous picture of tenacity. She would not be denied. We were like, you're going to stay in the basement. She said, nope, I am absolutely not. I am getting out of here no matter what it takes. She would not be denied. And that's us in prayer. We are to get on our knees before the Lord. And Lord, we won't be denied. We're going to come to you again and again. Like that widow in Luke 18, we are going to pray and we are going to pray for the things that are your expressed will and desire. Guys, if you're praying for something and it's your will and born out of selfishness, then stop praying for it right now. Don't ever pray for it again. But if you're praying for something that God has said he wants to see happen. Keep praying for it. Keep praying for it over and over again. Be tenacious about your prayer. Now, if you're a thinking Christian, and I hope that we are all thinking Christians, at this point, you're saying, wait a minute, why do I need to be tenacious in my prayer if God heard me the first time, right? Isn't that what you're thinking right now? Why would I need to be tenacious in my prayer if God heard me the first time? Maybe God's forgetful, and I got to remind him. Maybe God has good days and bad days, and I just got to make sure I hit him up on a good day. Is that it? Maybe God doesn't really like me. And he doesn't want to answer my prayers. But if I pile up enough prayers, he feels pressure and does it. Why would I need to be tenacious in my prayer life if an all-knowing God heard my prayer request the first time and knew what I needed before I even asked? I believe the answer is because the tenacity that we show in our prayer is an expression of the faith that he values more than anything else. When we're tenacious in our prayer and we come back and we pray again and again and again, it is an expression of the faith that God values more than anything else. When my daughter was little, let's say she came to me. Yeah, this did actually happen. Right? She came to me and she said, can I have a sleepover? If she came to me and asked if she could have a sleepover and I said, why don't you let me think about it? And then she came back to me three hours later and said, so can I have a sleepover? And then she came back to me three hours later and said, can I have a sleepover? 
And then the next day, can I have a sleepover? And the next day, can I have a sleepover? What do I know to be true? I know one, that this is important to her. And I know two, that she thinks I'm the one who can get it done. Right now, some of you are like, yeah, right, you could. We all know your wife would be the one who's in charge of that. Okay, fine. For the sake of illustration, pretend I could get it done. Now, what happens if my daughter comes to me and says, Dad, can I have a sleepover? And I say, let me think about that. And I never hear from her again. What do I know? I know that either one, it's not that important to her, or two, she doesn't think I'm the one who can get it done. When we come before God and we are tenacious in our prayer life, we are expressing faith that says, God, this is important to me. We, we think it's important to you. And so we are pouring ourselves out over and over again in this because it's important. And two, and more importantly, we depend upon you because we believe you're the one who can get it done. And we are not about to let a little bit of silence deter our faith. Y- yes, we haven't heard from you yet on this, but we're going to keep praying because your word says you want this to be done. And so we are going to come back to you again and again and again and be tenacious in our prayers. We want to be people who are powerful in our prayer life. That takes faith, faith that is expressed by us being tenacious in prayer. We come back to him day after day. God, please, God, will you do this? We're not going to let a little bit of silence deter us. So what is it that makes for powerful prayer lives? Pray in righteousness. Pray for what brings people to God. Be kingdom-oriented in your prayer. And finally, pray with tenacity. I was reading a story from a pastor about praying in this way for someone that he loved. He wrote, Our oldest daughter, Chrissy, had been a model child growing up. But around age 16, she started to stray. I admit I was slow to notice this. I was too occupied with the church, starting branch congregations, overseeing projects, and all the rest that ministry entails. Meanwhile, Chrissy not only drew away from us, but also away from God. In time, she even left our home. There were nights where we had no idea where our high school daughter was. As the situation grew more serious, I tried everything. I begged, I pleaded, I scolded, I argued, I even tried to control her with money. Looking back, I recognized the foolishness of my actions. Nothing worked. She just hardened more and more. Her boyfriend was everything we didn't want for our child. How I kept functioning through that period, I don't know. Many Sunday mornings, I'd get dressed for church, get into my car, drive to the church ahead of my wife, and cry for the next 25 minutes all the way to the church door. God, how am I going to get through three services today? I don't want to make myself the center of attention. The people have problems of their own. They're coming for help and encouragement. But what about me? I'm hanging by a thread. Oh God, my firstborn, my Chrissy. Somehow God would pull my nerves together enough for me to function through another long Sunday. There were many moments as we were worshiping where my mind would run away from the meeting and intercede for Chrissy. We were calling on the Lord as a couple every day. Sometimes for an hour, we were calling upon God for the sake of our girl. 
I would often try and intervene in Chrissy's life and in her situation. And it seemed every time I tried to get involved, things got worse. God strongly impressed on me to stop screaming, acting, and talking to everyone else about Chrissy. I was to converse with no one but God. In fact, I knew I should have no further contact with Chrissy until God acted. So I prayed, and I prayed. Day after day, week after week, month after month, I prayed with intensity and a growing faith in my Lord. The news kept getting worse about Chrissy and the life that she was leading, but I kept praying and interceding for her. Christmases were miserable as we sat around opening presents without Chrissy. One February, on a Tuesday night during a prayer meeting, a young woman in the congregation approached me and said, I think we should all spend some time praying for your daughter. I hesitated. Was it right to change the plan of the prayer meeting and focus on my concerns? But something seemed to ring true about it, and so I picked up the microphone and shared what the young woman had just shared with me. I said, the truth of the matter is, although I haven't talked about it much, my daughter Chrissy is very far from God. She thinks dark is light and light is dark. But I know God can break through in her life, so I'm going to ask Pastor B to lead us in prayer for Chrissy. The prayer meeting became intense as we groaned for my daughter's soul. My tear ducts ran until they were dry as people poured out prayers of intercession for my baby girl. 32 hours later, on Thursday morning, as I was shaving, my wife suddenly burst through the door of the bathroom. Go downstairs, she blurted. Chrissy's here. Go down, it's you she wants to see. I ran downstairs to find my daughter on the kitchen floor, rocking back and forth on her hands and knees, sobbing. I spoke her name, Chrissy. She grabbed my pant leg and began to pour out her anguish. Daddy, Daddy, I have sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and Mom. Please forgive me. My vision was as clouded by tears as hers was. I pulled her up to myself and held her as we both cried together. Suddenly she drew back, Daddy, who has been praying for me? What do you mean, Chrissy? I asked. She said, I've been having this dream night after night where God is showing me that I am headed to the bottom of a great abyss. But on Tuesday night, the dream was so real and scary, and then I saw clearly how rebellious and disobedient I have been. I was so scared and so frightened, but then it was as if I felt the loving arms of God around me, drawing me in and saying, I still love you. And I knew someone was praying for me. Chrissy's return to the Lord was evident immediately. She was seeking after him in prayer. She enrolled in Bible college. Today she is an amazing pastor's wife in the Midwest, raising three children to honor God. Through all this, my wife and I learned, as never before, to be persistent in calling upon the name of the Lord because nothing is impossible with him. Amen. The prayers of the righteous are fervent prayers and they are powerful. And so I want to encourage you, keep praying with tenacity. 
for that growth that you want to see in your life but haven't seen recently, keep praying with tenacity for that sin that so easily entangles, that seems to win the battle. Keep praying. For that relationship that's broken and seems impossible, keep praying for God's resolution and reconciliation. For that child or grandchild who has wandered far from the Lord, keep praying for God's work in their life that he would draw them back to himself. Keep praying with tenacity. Keep praying in righteousness. I want to invite you all to bow your heads with me and let's spend a few moments in prayer right now. First, it may be that as we come before the Lord in prayer today, the primary thing that you need to pray about is the state of your own heart. That you come here and you say, I am not single-minded in my pursuit of the Lord the way that Elijah was. I am double-minded. I am not living in righteousness. I have unconfessed and unrepentant sin in my life. If that is true, deal with that now. Confess it before the Lord. Repent of that sin and recognize his great grace and forgiveness in that area. Maybe you have someone in your life who's running away from God. For them, dark is light and light is dark. Pray for them, recognizing the power of God to change and transform their life. Pray that we would be a church that is tenacious in prayer seeking after God in all that we do. Friends, we're going to worship God in song. And as we do, I want to begin to prepare your minds and your hearts to take the Lord's Supper that we're going to take in a few minutes. The whole reason that we have hope for God's work in these situations is because of what Jesus did on the cross, canceling our sin, paying our debt, giving us new life in him. And so I encourage you, followers of Jesus Christ, focus your attention on him and what he has done on your behalf as we sing, this, as we sing these songs. We're going to start by singing a song that is about God sending his rain. We just read through a passage in which God literally sends his rain after three and a half years of drought. He is faithful to his promise to his people. And I want to invite you to focus on God's faithfulness to his promises to you, the things that he wants to do in our lives, and continue to be prayerful about those things as we enter into this time of praising him. Would you stand with me and let's praise him together.